and welcome to Digital Works Oral History Podcasts. This series is called Escaping the Blitz, an oral history of London's evacuees. During the Second World War, millions of children were evacuated from London to escape the dangers of bombing. This project explores the experiences of those evacuees separated from their families to live very different lives in the countryside. London Primary School children interviewed 24 Londoners who were evacuated as children from the capital. Episode 3. After the first wave of evacuations, many children began to return to their families in London. For the rest of the war, while some remained permanently away and others stayed with their families to face the dangers of London, many children would go back and forth depending on the intensity of the bombing until they were finally able to return to their families towards the end of the war in 1945. I didn't hear from my mother at all what was going on. So, but the only time I, I knew what was going on when after so many months, I don't know how long it was, she appeared at the door where I was and that she was going to take us home. What happened was, I was in Wales two and a half years, right? And then my mother came to see me, right? And when I saw her, I suddenly wanted to go home. I just don't know why, because I was quite happy, but I wanted to go home. And then she said to me, she said, you've got a baby sister. So I said, well, I'm coming home then. I want to see my sister. It suddenly just felt right I wanted to come home. Mm. Well, then I was nearly, seven, nearly eight, wasn't I, then? So I was more mature, more knowing what was going on. When the, the woman came knocking on the door, it was called the Women's Voluntary Service. They were the women that picked you up from the station and put you in these different places. They were the WVS, they called them. She knocked on the door and she said, you've got to go home. We were, we, I couldn't understand why we had to go home. Just Billy, Billy, my brother, his name was Billy. Why we got to go home? We haven't done anything wrong. You'll find out when you get home. When we got home, um, my sister met us at the station. We travelled on our own. And um, what's wrong? Why we had to come home? Don't worry about it, she said, come home. When I got there, my mother wasn't there. Ne- neither was my baby brother. His name was Charlie. Where's mum? I said, where's Charlie? She said, he's not been very well. Mum's taken him to the hospital. And then a couple of hours later, my mother came back, eyes all red, and she didn't have her baby brother with her. Where's Charlie? I said. She cried and cried, my mother. She said, he had caught what they called shelter. They called it then shelter cough. He'd caught this really bad pneumonia, a bad, really bad cough from going down the damp shelters. And when she got into the hospital, they said, it's whooping cough. And he had this, and he died. He died in my mum's arms because of this really bad cough. My mother came up to visit me and she could see that I was stressed out and uh, not being treated quite as well uh, as I should have been. And uh, she said, I can't take you home now. She said, because A, I can't afford the fare, you know. So she went off home because she had a return ticket. And as soon as she had enough money to uh, take me home, she came up. My brother wrote to my dad, but saying that he said, if you don't come and pick us up by the coming 
weekend or Saturday, um, we're leaving Dad. And that was it. What he did, my brother, he got all of the, our things that we had and he hid them around the side of the building. And come the Saturday morning, um, we left. And uh, went to, we got, got to the local station and we were waiting there. And then my father turned up with his friend in the car and brought us home. Uh, my mum came to down to see me one, uh, one weekend and she noticed I had a burn on my leg, right? So she asked the foster lady, um, what was it about? How, how, did, how did I get a burn on my leg? And she, uh, the lady couldn't answer her and I began to cry and my mum took me home immediately. Although some were badly treated, some were treated really, really well. We met our sister, my sister at the station and she cried and cried. She was crying because she didn't want to come home. She was all dressed up, looking good. And, uh, and she kept saying, I want to stay with my brother. That was the boy, the, the boy that she was, um, the son of the place she was evacuated with. And I said, you've got two brothers at home. I don't know those brothers, she said. She never wanted to come back. When war was declared, in 1939, it was very, very strange because for months and months and months nothing happened. And people called it the phony war. No bombing, no signs of, of uh, the Luftwaffe and the German planes and swastikas. And so a lot of people said, here we are stuck out in the middle of the country, we think we'll go back home. And so lots of people decided to go back home. A London child doesn't need his father to tell him of the Battle of Britain. He remembers it. He remembers too the night of December the 29th, 1940, although he had been evacuated 30 miles from London. That night, as usual, the citizens kept their vigil on the roofs. And as usual, they heard the warning. They had seen raids before, but even they never dreamt of the fires they were to see that night. But when the bombing started, it was terrifying. Uh, it was absolutely terrifying. I remember running through the streets with my mother, seeing the bombers come over and seeing bombs come out of planes. This place was hell. Um, the air was always full of dust and grit and smoke. Uh, there were craters and bomb holes everywhere. The devastation that was going on around you, uh, it, 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 was, it was terrible. You, you, you'd be walking along the road to school and there would be houses all broken down and, and, and Water spurting out where the, you know, it all broken, everything had broken. There'd be people crying, people trying to get salvaged furniture from uh, houses. Quite exciting for a young boy. I mean, I'm, at the end of the war, I'm still younger than you. I'm still only 10 and a bit uh, at the end of the war. So um, we used to go out and collect shrapnel or anything that uh, we could as a result, you know, souvenirs from the bombing. 
I don't remember fear, even when we were running and mummy's pulling me along and I can see the bombs coming. She's screaming at me, you know, to come with dragging me along. All I wanted to see was what was going on. It was exciting for me. <laughs> the worst bit of being in the war was the air raid siren. And when you hear it, everybody rushes to the air raid shelter. And being little and four, all I could see were these knees like this, running and running and running and running. It was terrifying. I remember bombing, bombs coming over and we hiding in a shelter and it was horrible. It really was horrible and very, very frightening. When there was an air raid, we would have to run down the shelter. I, we all had a, like a little parcel ready in the, house, in the flat I lived in. We had a bottle of water and we had a jumper and um, a comic. We used to, I used to take either a, a Beano or a Dandy, they were the comics of the day. And so when we got down the shelter, any other children, we could swap comics. And um, that's what, we, as soon as the siren went, which was that noise, that horrible whining noise, ooh, ooh, we all had to grab our own parcel and run down the shelters. So that, that was that. Spent 52 nights down those shelters, consecutive nights. And every time you come up, there was another building down around you. I remember going home one day and it was about, I suppose about half a mile from home and suddenly I see a dogfight going on, on up in the sky. That was, you know, an enemy um, planes being shot at by our planes obviously and I'm really interested because it's, it's vivid, it's actually real when I'm watching it and suddenly I got grabbed, pulled into this calf, stuck under the table for my safety apparently and I can remember being very very annoyed <laughs> that I couldn't see this, this what I was thought was you know fun. I have a very strong picture of my mother with the, my youngest sister who was a baby, my mother leaning over the pram in case anything happened to protect the baby and we all kind of crouched underneath where the stairs were. And that was, I can remember that very, very strongly. My mother and I were coming down the road. There was no warning on or anything. And the German aircraft came down and started um, sh shooting at us. Fortunately, a neighbour saw what was happening. And uh, because we started running, and uh, she pulled us into our house out of the way. After the terrible bombing of the Blitz died down, many children once again returned to London. But when the V1 and V2 rocket attacks began in 1944, the government organised a third wave of evacuations. It was only towards the end of the war that children could safely return to London for good. The house next door to us was, well, the, the, the whole street was bombed. So my mother then decided that she would have to send us kids away again. My mum decided she wasn't going to send me out again. But then the bombing got so bad, she said to the social worker, please take her back. So the final place that I lived was in Penzance, Cornwall. And there I lived like a princess because they were very rich. Um, the husband had a, a shop in the, in, the, in the high street, 
the lady had a maid who was, lived on the premises. And, uh, and my, my, my best day was on a Thursday when the foster mama would go out and I would go with the, the maid to the kitchen, which I never went when I was living there. And it was like, like going home. We had a lot of fun together in the kitchen. When the local bombing started, the Blitz as it was known, uh, when that started, my father said we should go away again to somewhere else. So we knew, we had friends who lived in a little village called Saul in Gloucester. Um, so he, he got in contact with them and me and my mother went to Saul. My, my brother who was 15, coming up 15 then, um, had found himself a job in the city and wanted to stay with my dad. 10th of September, um, we got a telegram to say eight of our family had been killed in London. Um, my brother, my father, my grandmother, two uncles, aunt, and a couple of cousins, eight people all together. They were all killed in one go. So um, we, my mother, obviously, uh, was heartbroken of what happened, and so was I, because we were such a close family, you know. And uh, we stayed for a while, then we came back to London after that and suffered the blitz. There were many tearful farewells to foster families. Some had remained with those families for several years and had grown extremely close, and the wrench of separation was painful even as they returned to their own families. Others were only too happy to leave more difficult situations to return to a war-ravaged London. Everyone hugged and cried um, because they'd become part of our life and given us such a wonderful time. They, they were just wonderful people. So yes, we all cried and hugged each other and um, again, I didn't know why we were leaving them really. They were nice people and I was, um, I was a bit upset when I left, you know, because we, well, we got so attached as a family, although they were strangers to me, we were treated very well, I think. Yorkshire, I was glad to leave. <laughs> uh, and. Uh, I don't think it, what I can remember of it, 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 the parting wasn't all that nice really, you know. I think my, my mother was sort of saying to him, well you, you didn't look after my son very well and, and uh, I don't think it was very nice at all. Well I didn't mind leave, leaving the first family at all because I, I was always very cold in their house. There, there was no sort of relationship with them, they, they just tolerated me. But uh, I was very sad to, to leave Mrs Buckley. She was a lovely lady. And um, a, few year, a few years after I left, I heard that she died, um, which was also very sad. And I know that my parents kept in touch with them for quite some time after the war. The girls, the last evacuation, where I, where I was with all the girls, they were quite sad. They hugged and kissed me and asked me to go back and, and see them. 
which many, many years I did go back to Blackpool to see if I could see these girls and say, thank you for looking after me. But when I got back there, the house to Blackpool, the house had been demolished and in its place was a block of flats. We went as a family and stayed there from three, from three years old, three and a half, until I came home when I was eight. And what a shock when I came home. Again, it was very, very hard because from the countryside, which was lovely and quiet and a wonderful childhood, to an area that was very, very busy. But I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It, it, it took a while for my sister and myself to acclimatise because it was so different and you saw bomb sites and things that you never, ever knew. It was awful because in the countryside you didn't see it. I didn't see it. But when you came back, there was empty, sh you know, houses just you, all knocked down and, and debris everywhere. It was a shock. And the first thing my mother said was, why are you talking like that? Because, you see, I'd picked up Lancashire accent. So I would say bath and things like that. <laughs> my mother didn't like it because I wasn't speaking like a Londoner. I was speaking like somebody who lived in Lancashire. But I can remember when I got home that the house I was living in, it seemed very, very tiny after living in this house in Yorkshire. Because I, as I said to my mum, what's up, Ma? You know, what's up in a Yorkshire accent? What's up with the house? Well, the feelings were, it were fantastic because we were all together then. And um, we was all looking forward to Dad coming home. When I finally came back from uh, uh, Blackpool, when I was nearly 13, I was so happy. I recall looking up in my bedroom at my dad's suit. He had one suit, but when he came home on leave from the army, he used to wear. And I thought, how wonderful. I'm never going to be evacuated again because we knew that the Russians were coming one way, the Americans were coming. We knew from the radio or the wireless, that we were winning the war. And I knew that we weren't being evacuated anymore. And I remember looking up thinking how happy I was that Dad would be home soon. And so we had this letter from him saying that he's going to be home soon and take care of us. Two weeks after we got that letter, we got a letter from the war office saying, we are sorry to inform you of the death of your husband on active service. And Dad had been killed out in a place called Casino in Italy. When he came home, he was a complete stranger to me. I hadn't seen him for three, four years, or four years. And um, as a child, I'd been growing up and growing up without a, a father. And so my mother and I grew very, very close to each other. I knew the war had finished when Dad came through the gate with his jersey on and trousers. He wasn't in uniform. And I rushed up to him and hugged him. That's when the war was over for me. It was a wonderful feeling seeing him. And I remember going with my parents um, up to Trafalgar Square and there were big celebrations and everybody was just going mad. It was just so wonderful. I mean, we just couldn't believe that it had ended. You know, it was wonderful, wonderful. My dad and mum organised a street party, which was what they did after the war. And 
everybody got together and put everything that they, they could afford into having a party in the street. Everybody was drinking and happy. And as children, our best bit was we had a whole bowl of sweets, which was wonderful. I just still remember it. All free. <laughs> At the end of the war, celebrations for everyone else was wonderful. I can recall standing in that same bedroom where my dead suit was, looking out the window in the block of flats that I lived, in the courtyard, they had a huge long table and there was all these children having jelly and ice cream and, and um, lemonade and things that we hadn't seen for ages and ages and they were all having a wonderful time. But my, my mother said to me, I'm looking out the window, she said, she said to me, I recall her saying, you're not going out there, we've got nothing to celebrate. Your dad, you lost your dad and your brother. I think this made me, as a, a person, very insecure because being away from your parents without being told what the war was and not warning that you were going to be away for two years, two and a half years, has made me always very insecure about life and about friendship and everything. I've never forgotten it. I think it had an effect on me that um, I find it very hard to make a relationship with friends. I have to be very careful who I make friends with. Uh, uh, I think maybe it was a mistrust of people. I don't know. You, you, you know, when you're a young child, things, things can go into your head that you keep back. It's like, like a negative. The negative is there. It, it does affect you, yeah. It's made me very... I'm very independent, very determined to do things on my own. Um, it probably made me quite tough. It made me more strong, it made me more self-sufficient and uh, just get on with life because that's how it is. Life is, is that's how life is, be strong and, and that's how, that made me stronger. A good period of it wasn't very enjoyable but I think, I think it has probably made me a better person, hopefully. It made me think of different things and how to cope in my life and how people can live together. It doesn't matter who you are, what you are, you can live together in peace. I met some amazing people in different walks of life that I have... It, I've never forgotten it. And I think of a family to open up their home to complete strange children, one a Chinese girl and one looking like me. Um, I think it's amazing. I think people were just amazing. But they, every, they did. They opened their homes to you. And we would be forever grateful for them. That certain night, the night we met there was magic abroad in the air there were angels dining at the Ritz and a nightingale sang in Berkeley Square I may be right I may be wrong, but I'm perfectly willing to swear that when you turn 
and smiled at me. A nightingale sang in Berkeley Square. The moon that lingered over London town, poor puzzled moon, he wore a frown. How could he know we two were so in love? The whole darn world seemed upside down. The streets of town were paved with stars. It was such a romantic affair. And as we kissed and said, Good night, a nightingale sang in Berkeley Square. This podcast was produced by arts and education charity Digital Works. Interviews were conducted by children from Firstdown Primary School and St Thomas's Church of England Primary School. With thanks to all of our interviewees, you can find out more about them, hear their full interviews and also watch the wonderful documentary film made as part of this project at www.londonevacuees.org.uk. Thanks to the Imperial War Museum, to Wandsworth Local Study Centre and to Kensington Local Study Centre. Thanks also to the British Film Institute and the British Council for the Archive Audio. Music was performed by Vera Lynn. The project was funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund and by the Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea's City Living Local Life Fund. To find out more about our oral history projects, films and podcasts, visit www.digital-works.co.uk night in Berkeley